This is Jeremy Bassetti, and you're listening to Travel Writing World, a podcast featuring interviews with travel writers about their work and about the business and craft of travel writing. You can find the episode show notes, free travel writing resources, and much more at travelwritingworld.com. Hello, everyone. This is episode 87 of the Travel Writing World podcast. Joining me today is Shafik Meji, and we're talking about his new book, Crossed Off the Map, Travels in Bolivia, which, as the name implies, treats the author's many years of travels to and work in Bolivia, a country that is often off the tourist radar. We talk about the indigenous languages spoken in the country, the history of exploitation of the country's peoples and natural resources, and the tourist appeal of this overlooked country. Anyway, before we start the episode today, just a note to say, please tell your friends about the podcast, leave a review on the Apple Podcasts app or whichever podcasting app you use, and support the show with only a few dollars a month at travelwritingworld.com forward slash support. Lastly, to stay up to date with travel, nature, and place writing news, join the hundreds of other subscribers and sign up for Genius Loci my free monthly email roundup of news and links at jeremybassetti.com. That's with two S's and two T's. A new roundup goes out on the first of the month. So now, here is Shafik Meji. Shafik, welcome to the podcast. Oh, um, I'm delighted to be uh, be here. Thanks for having me on. So Shafik Meji is my guest, and we're talking about his new book, Crossed Off the Map, Travels in Bolivia, which was published March 15, 2022. Um, and I'm assuming it's available globally, if, uh, if I'm not mistaken, or will it come out in the US at a later date? Um, it, it, it's available globally. So yeah, if you're, if you're in UK, Europe, and, and uh, North America, yeah, you can get hold of it from all the, uh, all, all the normal outlets. Very good. Well, uh, Bolivia is a country that is quite diverse, um, you, know, you know, kind of has low-lying rainforests, um, you know, the Amazon, relatively low-lying rainforests in the Amazon and high-altitude mountain regions like the Andes and the Altiplano. Um, and there's also like this large track of plains. And um, these are kind of regions that you cover in the book. But I was wondering if you could kind of introduce us to the country uh, by by way of its natural and uh, I guess geographical diversity. Yeah, so uh, I mean, Bolivia is a fascinating country, and it's um, you know is 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 not particularly well known beyond Latin America, which is partly the reason I ended up writing the book. I mean, it's it's geographically it's right in the heart of South America. It borders five other countries, um, and it's incredibly diverse in terms of both its geography and its and its people. Mm-hmm. Most people think of it as an Andean country, um, and the uh, the western side of it is high altitude mountains, volcanoes, salt flats, Lake Titicaca, that kind of thing. But around a third of it is in the Amazon basin, uh, and then a lot of eastern and uh, southeastern Bolivia is um, lowlands or wetlands or dry tropical forest or um, uh, desert-like conditions. Um, so yeah, it's c- incredibly varied, and uh, and that's also reflected in it in its peoples. It's um, th- there's a lot of diversity in terms of ethnic groups, in terms of languages, in terms of culture, uh, which just you know it really really makes it a fascinating 
place, even if it's uh, somewhat underrepresented uh, in travel writing and um, often overlooked. Mm-hmm. You'd mentioned the the diversity of the people um, and the diverse ethnic groups, and I think most of us will kind of associate the the country with you know having a, a Spanish heritage or Hispanic heritage. Um, mixed with some sort of indigenous population, but can you give us a, a sense of the uh, the diversity of people here, the um, the indigenous uh, groups that were here before and before the Spanish arrived, and and the ones that are here um, there still today? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, like like um, like lots of uh, South America, there's obviously a strong Spanish um, Spanish influence. Mm-hmm. Um, that- back to the colonial period but yeah you know the the the, the indigenous character of uh, bolivia is, uh, is is incredibly strong two of the uh, the, the biggest groups are the aymara and the uh, quechua um both of these uh, languages are very commonly spoken in 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 bolivia as as well you're you're you'll hear them spoken on the, the street and um now aymara particularly is an interesting language because it's one of the only languages that survived both the um, arrival of the Quechua-speaking Inca and the uh, the uh, Spanish-speaking conquistadors, um, uh, but you know that's that they're they're mainly in central and uh, western Andean Bolivia, but elsewhere in the country you have huge huge varieties of 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 groups um, and and obviously a huge um, uh, you know it, it a mixed culture. So it's kind of um, yeah, it, it's it's fascinating from um, from from that point of view. Mm-hmm. And there's lots to explore, and there's lots to uh, lots to understand as well. Mm-hmm. I've heard somewhere that Bolivia might be the country with the largest percentage of indigenous peoples living in that. Is that just hearsay, or is there some truth to that? Yeah, no, no. Th- th- there's definitely some truth in that. These kind of statements is always quite difficult to actually quantify and right. <laughs> drill down in, into right. exactly the, the, the meanings of it. But absolutely, you, you know, if, if you've travelled in Argentina or Chile or uh, Brazil, for example, if if you as soon as you cross the border into uh, Bolivia, you, you, you'll 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 see a, a much stronger, more visible, more prominent um, indigenous culture, or rather cultures, because you know there's lots of variety. Within the indigenous, um, mm-hmm. the indigenous peoples in Bolivia, and of, of course, this is all fused and uh, merged together to create, you know, um, uh, distinctly Bolivian character as well. So, um, yeah, there's, there's there's lots to unpick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you mentioned the Amara language and also the Quechua language, and you'd mentioned that Amara withstood the linguistic attack, so to speak, of the Quechua. Um, language and also the Spanish language. Tell me a little bit about these languages. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it 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 is a very long-standing language, um, and uh, you know, the 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 influence on Spanish and across Latin America on, you know, obviously indigenous groups, but also indigenous languages was um, was was devastating, and you know, a relatively small number, you know, managed managed to survive. In widely spoken form, so so Aymara and, and Quechua, uh, both of them are, are you know are among the most commonly spoken indigenous languages in Latin America. And Aymara, of course, as, as you mentioned, has um, you know had to survive uh, widespread uh, Quechua-speaking um, uh, empire before the Spanish in 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 the Inca. So it's uh, yeah, it's it's a very historic language, um, you know, from a linguistic point of view. 
Uh, it's also it's a, it's a very in, interesting language as well. And, and beyond that kind of Aymara culture, particularly in um, in Western uh, Bolivia, has uh, has had a uh, you know a very important impact on on shaping the, the the country politically, economically, and socially over the last um, the last twenty to thirty years or so. Uh, not least um, because of the, uh, the the role of Evo Morales, who um, who became the first uh, indigenous um, president of a South American country um, uh, in in two thousand and six, and he came from an Aymara background and that helped to um you know lead to a flourishing rejuvenation um of a uh, of um an indigenous group an indigenous culture that uh, like many other indigenous cultures across south america had been historically repressed and subject to uh, prejudice and discrimination so um yeah it, it's it's kind of been rejuvenated in, in in recent years so it's uh yeah it's, it's a fascinating thing to um to to explore mm-hmm. Hey, let's talk about this repression or this oppression for a moment. And you mentioned in the book that um, kind of Bolivia was, well, what's now Bolivia was kind of like the ground zero of, you know, the the world's kind of foray or entrance into globalization. So, you know, the land and the people that are within Bolivia's borders today, um, you know, played a hugely important role in, in global political uh, economy, and I'm thinking here about, you know, the wealth of natural resources in the country, like the the silver, um, especially the silver, right? But mm-hmm. also like the tin, the rubber, and now the lithium um, resources that uh, kind of form special chapters um, in your book. Can you so um, can you give us a sense of of uh, these resources and and how Bolivia and and you know the 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 indigenous people of uh, Bolivia in particular. Um, kind of helped create, you know, what we help create the modern world essentially. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. I mean, I mean, it, it was it was these stories that uh, you know really helped first to pique my interest in Bolivia and helped to inspire Frost off the map. Um, so you know, Bolivia has been blessed or cursed, depending on your perspective, right. with uh, abundant natural resources. You know, initially it was silver. So in the city of Potosi, which is one of the highest cities. On Earth um, was the uh, was the home of the richest silver mine in history. Um, uh, according to legend, so much silver was taken out of it during the colonial period that you could have been uh, built a uh, uh, a railway line all the way from Bolivia to uh, to Madrid and still have enough left over to build a solid silver locomotive to ride on top. <laughs> uh, now, this obviously produced great wealth for the for the Spanish, uh, but it also helped to kickstart globalization and global trade. It helped to connect the world for the first time. Uh, the silver from uh, uh, Bolivia and to a slightly lesser extent, Mexico, um, helped to fund the industrial revolution in Europe. It helped to um, you know, fuel the growth of, uh, of the Chinese economy during the Ming era, particularly. So uh, uh, things like the Great Wall of China were in part financed by uh, uh, silver from Potosi. It connected uh, uh, the uh, the so-called New World, uh, Latin America, with Europe, with Asia, uh, and and also with with Africa in the form of uh, in, enslaved people who were forced trafficked over to um, to the mines in Potosi and elsewhere in Bolivia to 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 re- remove the silver along with the indigenous. 
um, mm-hmm. uh, indigenous people of Bolivia. You know, and while there was great wealth produced by the Cerro Rico silver mines, um, it, it came at a huge, huge human cost. Um, you know, one of the nicknames for the mountain uh, is the mountain that eats men. Uh, so many, so many, uh, so many people died um, uh, uh, drawing out its its, its wealth. And, and you know, silver is just the most uh, prominent example of this in Bolivia. But there are others too. Um, you know, later it was one of the world's major tin producers. You uh, you had characters such as Simon Patino, who um, in the early 20th century was one of the richest men on earth, thanks to uh, Bolivian tin. You had abundant rubber supplies in the um, in the Bolivian Amazon. You know, you had these you know, devastating rubber barons who controlled uh, essentially swathes of the rainforest equivalent in size to small countries. Um, and again, you know, both tin and rubber came at the, uh, came at the cost of uh, many, many indigenous lives. Uh, and today, you know, there's, there's a modern echo of that because in, in uh, southwestern Bolivia, possibly the most famous uh, natural attraction in Bolivia, the Salar de Uyuni, which is the world's biggest salt flat. To put that in context, it's roughly the size of Jamaica. So this is an incredible otherworldly landscape. Um, you know, it's 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 much much photographed and much visited. Mm-hmm. But beneath the surface, it has some of the uh, world's biggest reserves of lithium. And lithium is one of the metals that powers the digital age. It's uh, you know, batteries. It's, it's in the bat- in the batteries for our mobile phones, for our for our laptops, for our electric cars, um, in solar panels, and so on. And so the Bolivian industry is is still in its early stages, but they're trying to, um, you know, essentially avoid the mistakes of the past or more, uh, avoid the damage of the past while still, you know taking advantage of this, uh, you know, incredibly valuable resource that's valuable, not just for the Bolivian economy, but for, for all of us, if we are tr- to uh, transition to a uh, low carbon economy. Right. Um, and do, do we have any sense of how the Bolivian government is trying to prevent, uh, you know, a repeat of the evils of the past in terms of resource exploitation and human exploitation? Yes. Well, they, 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 I mean, there's, there's some awareness of it. I mean, the, the Potosi, which, you know, t- today to people outside of Bolivia may not, uh, may not be a familiar term in, in, in Bolivia, it is a very, very potent, potent word. And it, and it's, you know, it symbolizes lots of things, riches and exploitation and, and, mm. and so on. And, you know, successive Bolivian governments have, uh, uh, name checked both Potosi and silver and it's uh, and the other resources that have been uh, taken from the country during the colonial and the uh, and the post independence period um, as kind of lessons for what to avoid um, with resources like lithium in the future. Now, how much of this is actually going to have an impact? How much lithium will actually benefit um, local Bolivians mm-hmm. remains to be seen. There's also a very, very serious issue with um, how to uh, take advantage of these resources without, uh, without damaging a very fragile ecosystem um, in the, uh, the Saladia Uni and also the communities and the uh, long-running lifestyles of the people that uh, live there. And so this is a particularly potent issue because Bolivia is on the front line of uh, the climate crisis. You know, it's had a huge, huge um, forest fires in the east of the country uh, and in the Amazon. 
the second biggest lake in the country is, has dried up. You know, I, I traveled past it in 2014 and it was a vast, vast lake, almost like an inland sea. With it, within 18 months, it had dried up. It was a desert, the dust bowl. You know, glaciers are melting in the, um, in the, uh, in the high Andes. They've had huge droughts. This is a very potent issue in Bolivia. So there's lots and lots of kind of contradictory and competing issues to, to do with lithium and, and, and other resources, which, um, you know, it, it makes it a challenge from a political point of view. Um, but from a, from a writing point of view and from a traveling point of view, it makes Bolivia kind of a fascinating place to visit, but also probably a case study for um, what many of us, most of us, wherever we live in the world, um, are going to have to contend with in the uh, the years and decades to come. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you, you've outlined kind of the, the historic and the future importance of, of Bolivia. Um, but as the title of your, your book suggests, right, um, Bolivia is a country that uh, is, is not often at the fore of everyone's minds. Um, do you, wh- why do you think Bolivia has been you know, crossed off the map, so to speak, um, in, in our, in our collective imagination. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the, the title of my book comes from a, uh, an apocryphal story from the mid 19th century in which, uh, following a diplomatic spat, uh, Queen Victoria ceremoniously, uh, crossed Bolivia's name off of a, off of a map <laughs> of, uh, South America. Now this might be a tall tale, uh, albeit one that's quite well known within, uh, within Bolivia and beyond. Um, it does sometimes feel as if Bolivia really was crossed off the map. You know, as, 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 as I mentioned before, it's right in the heart of South America. Um, you know, it, it, it borders, it borders um, five, five other countries, but it's often in their shadow. You know, it's rarely covered by the international media. Most travel, travel writers um, that pass through do so hurriedly on their way to somewhere, somewhere else. Um, but uh, but this, is, this is a more recent phenomenon. I, I, I think it's, you know, scroll back um, 100 years, 200 years, 300 years. You know, there was lots of interest and lots of, uh, lots of people writing about Bolivia and recognising its, its kind of significance in, 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 the, uh, in the wider world. So, um, so you know, hopefully in a, in a small way, my book will help to, uh, help to introduce a few more people into this fascinating country, which, uh, you know, it, it may not be particularly well known, um, um, beyond, beyond South America, mm-hmm. um, but has had, has had a vital impact on, uh, on world history. And is also on a basic level, just a fascinating place to, uh, travel around and explore. Mm-hmm. Well, talk to me about your interest in, in the country. You, you mentioned in the book that you, uh, co-authored the rough guide uh, to, to Bolivia back in 2010, 2011, something like that. And you've written, you know, a lot about, about the country since, but, uh, and you've been there many times, obviously. So, so what makes, um, Bolivia so special for you and, um, you know, to continue with this theme, um, what, what would make it so special for, for the traveler? I, I mean, I, I, I first visited, um, Bolivia as a backpacker. In 2004, I was traveling around South America with my girlfriend at the time. Um, and, and at that point, I'd just been drawn in by, you know, Brazil and Argentina and Chile and Machu Picchu and the Rio Carnival and all of these kind right. of things. Um, and I ended up just traveling um, across Bolivia to get, from, uh, to get from Brazil to Peru. 
Um, I didn't know much about the country, but as I began to explore it, I absolutely fell in love with it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I was lucky that subsequently, a few years later, well, after I became a travel writer, I was able to return regularly and explore in great depth um, uh, through my work for Rough Guides. Really, the the you know beyond the, the you know the, the fascinating historical and cultural side to the to the country, it was its dramatic and varied landscapes that drew me in initially. And uh, and have kept me going back since. You know, Bolivia is a country of extremes. It's got the world's biggest salt flat, as I mentioned before. It has the world's largest high altitude lake in uh, Lake Titicaca. Uh, it has the highest city on earth in El Alto, uh, which is a breathless um, well, more than four thousand meters above wow. sea level. It has the richest silver mine on earth in the Amazon. It's got the most biodiverse protected area on earth in Park National Medidi. In this park alone, there are roughly 10% of all of the birds found in the world. You know, it's, it, it's, um, it's an incredibly varied place. Um, and it has so much, so much, so much to offer. And, um, yeah, really that, that, that's what drew me in initially and keeps me, keeps me coming back because, you know, I, th- I think one thing I've learned in all my years as travel writing as a travel writer is that the more that you explore, really the more you realize there's more to explore. Right. <laughs> you, know, you just realize what you don't know and that there's other places to go. I mean, that that's the great part of it. There is no end of the road. You never complete anything. Um, you, you're always, you're always um, just uh, one step uh, uh, along the road. Uh-huh. So, um, so, you know, I mean, I, the, the thing on a very basic level that would draw people in from a travel point of view is just to see, these otherworldly, uh, dramatic and varied landscapes um, of Bolivia. And then through that, you can see how that has helped to shape, um, you know, a very distinctive uh, country and, uh, and varied cultures. Mm-hmm. And for the culture vultures, there's, from what I understand, uh, a lot of interesting um, festivals and uh, rituals and, you know, markets and a fascinating place with uh, syncretic religions, you know, Catholicism and and the the native indigenous religions, kind of how they they mingle. There's a lot um, from what I'm reading, a lot to to see and experience, and um, you know, try try to wrap your heads around. Really, yeah, no, a- absolutely. I mean, you, it's Bolivia has a strong indigenous heritage, as I mentioned before, but you know, an awful lot of the uh, kind of indigenous beliefs. And practices and cultural elements have fused with um, Spanish and other European elements to create something new and distinctive. You know, you see that in the um, in the in the mines in in Potosi, for example. The miners um, chew coca leaves, something that has been used in the the, the Andes for you know something around eight thousand years or so. And they also pay tribute and ask for protection to this uh, demonic-looking figure uh, called El Tio, who is the lord of the underworld. Um, and uh, he is, he is uh, given presence to, to help protect them in this very dangerous environment. And, you know, he draws in elements of Catholicism and also in, you know, indigenous Andean beliefs that date back, you know, uh, millennia before the arrival of Catholicism in, um, uh, in, in South America. In the town of Copacabana, which uh, which sits on the uh, shores of Lake Titicaca, you see another fascinating um, example of this syncretism between the two uh, religions in um, the blessing of the cars, where one of the uh, 
the local priest from the uh, from the cathedral will bless with with holy water um, vehicles that are brought in by um, by Bolivians to bring them luck and to protect them and so on. I mean, these are just two of many many examples. Mm-hmm. Um, that you'll see in Bolivia, and kind of one of the great pleasures of travelling through the country is to really um, kind of get under the skin of this and see and see how these um, these these uh, these cultural elements are fused together, and where you can see echoes of the past, and you can see new forms. Um, yeah, it's a very it's a very vibrant place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's fascinating. You write in the book that um, you're originally intended to write a travelogue um, of your travels through the country, but for some reason you, you changed your mind. Um, I was wondering if you could maybe speak to this, like why did you change your mind? And um, I guess, how did you decide to approach the writing of this book? If, if yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I, I've loved, I've loved reading travel writing ever since I was a, a child. I mean, one of my you know, my love for travel has has part has come in part at least through books. So you know, I was I was very interested in initially writing a, a travel log about Bolivia simply because one hadn't been written for many many years, and I started off I started off doing that. But I was I was lucky that uh, when I was traveling through Bolivia, really over the last decade or so, um, that's it's been a particularly interesting time from a political, social, economic point of view. In Bolivia, um, you know, it had a um, had a, a new indigenous-led government uh, that had uh, overseen great economic growth. Um, huge numbers of people were called, pulled out of poverty. There was a flourishing of indigenous culture and identity. Um, but it also became increasingly clear that Bolivia stood on the front line of many of the you know the touchstone issues of the 21st century. Things like the climate emergency and populism, mm-hmm. uh, migration, uh, the war on drugs, uh, and so on. And uh, you know, the more I travelled, the more I saw firsthand um, how Bolivia was coping and facing up to these challenges. And also realised, well, actually, there's 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 lessons and examples and even warnings for people in other parts of the world about these issues. So I thought, well. You know, I I I I should I, I really need to expand the scope of my book. You know, mm-hmm. for me, it's important as a travel writer to engage honestly and um, you know, and open mindedly with with the the modern the modern world and the challenges of the modern world. I'm not interested in sugarcoating things or just ignoring issues because traditionally they may be <laughs> difficult to difficult to cover. Mm-hmm. And one of the great things about travel writing is it's a huge, you know, it's a broad genre. You can you you can go off on tangents, and you can you can encompass lots of different things in your in your writing. Um, and you know, I think uh, the, the book that's resulted from from that has been immeasurably better than the the one that I initially planned to to write, which was uh, yeah a much more standard kind of by the numbers uh, travel log. Right. Well, the the book does contain an element of that, but what makes it more than just that is the the dive into the history and the culture of Bolivia that you you treat throughout the book, and it's you know it's quite accessible. I'd say it's a pretty good introduction into into the history and the culture of Bolivia, and also you know we get a sense of what it's like you know to travel through it. So it's you know multi pronged kind of approach here in the book, which is good 
it's good to see. You know, we see a lot of books on, you know, say, Potosi and, you know, these types of topics in Bolivian history. Um, but less common are, I guess, books that cast a wider net and try to approach different elements um, with and dis- different subjects within Bolivia. Yeah, no, no, ab- absolutely. I mean, I, I, I wanted it to be accessible and, you know, easy and engaging to read. I mean, my, my background is in journalism. I was mm-hmm. a news and sports reporter for, for many years and I still work as a journalist. Um, and so I, I, I wanted to take some of that through and not just in the reporting side of it and kind of covering contemporary issues, but also making it accessible and readable and, and also trying to give it a narrative thread as well. I didn't want to be kind of too caught up in the minutiae of things. I wanted to, um, you know, introduce people to these, to, to these issues, show how they're relevant and why they're important, um, but also wanted to, you know, entertain people as well. I, mean, I think that's a, that's a, that's that's a, a, a crucial part of it. Uh, and, yeah, and as as you say, there hasn't really been this type of writing about Bolivia as a whole, um, you know, re- really for ma- ma- many many years. You know, I was, I was, I, so I was trying to. You know, encompass encompass all of those things and um, yeah kind of give people a great read at the same time well I think mission accomplished uh, so um, crossed off the map travels in Bolivia by Shafik Meji was published March 15 2022 thanks so much for your time and coming on the podcast oh my absolute pleasure Jeremy thanks for inviting me on you can find the episode show notes and much more at travelwritingworld.com Please remember to subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app. And if you find the show valuable, please consider leaving a review or supporting the show with only a few dollars a month at travelwritingworld.com support.